It's Daily Thunder, the truth of Jesus Christ dished out live every morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado with a bit of manly grit and gusto. Find out more at live.ellerslie.com. Now here's Eric Lutie. Father, we approach the throne of grace clothed in the majesty, the wonder, the power of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for the access that we have into your presence because of what Jesus has done. And Lord, in that great name of Jesus, we make our request known that you would rule our life via the Holy Spirit today, that our lives would be filled to overflowing and that out of our lives would gush forth the realities of the kingdom of heaven, that we would be men and women who love as you love, Lord, because the God of love lives inside of us. Lord, that we'd be men and women that proclaim the glory of Jesus, that share the gospel of Jesus, because the one that lives inside of us is constantly testifying of the one who has risen from the dead on the third day. Lord, I pray that we would be your vessels and that through us the world would behold Jesus Christ. It's in the precious name we pray, amen. So my goal today is to be shorter, okay, the always a wonderful goal. And because I'd really like to spend a little more time, this is going to be more applicable to those that are here present. Those of you that are hearing this in podcast, I just want to bait you to come visit us here at Ellerslie so you can be a part of what follows as well. But I'd like to practice uh, prayer more today as opposed to talk about prayer. And so uh, so my goal is to have this be a little shorter. We'll, we'll see how well I do. So this is my third uh, installment in this little mini-series on prayer, and this one is called The Whatsoever Territory, and very significant idea and concept here. So it's a study in participatory prayer. Yesterday we talked about uh, the passage in Mark chapter 2 where Jesus is in Capernaum, and he's in the house, remember, and he's healing people, and the house is just packed full of people, and then people are packed full around it. And there's this paralytic guy, this guy that just cannot walk, that he needs to get to Jesus. And so there are four that catch this burden, that pick up this burden. And I liken that to prayer, that there is something that needs to take place. And God burdens us as the body of Christ to do the things that are on his heart. He wants to get that guy to his feet. And so as a result, there are some of us that are actually burdened to do that. And so we pick up this man that is sick with the palsy. And we begin to carry him. But we run into opposition. We run into resistance. We run into barriers. And in prayer, for many of us, that's where we stop. As opposed to pressing through, as we see in this story, these men, and I'm presuming they're men. They could have been women. I'm not trying to diminish women by saying they they were men. I'm just saying that's just always been my mental picture of it. And so these people uh, come and they run into an obstacle. But what do they do? They press through it. And then they climb up onto the roof And now they have a roof to get through. But they break through the roof. And that could have been multiple layers thick. We don't know. And so then once they get through, then they lower the man down to the feet of Jesus. So the concept is it's operation get them to the feet of Jesus. And this is how a burden works in us. We have been entrusted with something by the Holy Spirit. It's a burden. Very specifically, it's his burden that he is sharing with you. The fact that God invites us into what burdens him is one of the grand privileges of Christianity. And so when we allow God to burden us, when we allow him to share his heart with us, it is a precious privilege. 
And so how do we handle that then? Well, as those four that bore up the man that was paralyzed, we need to carry that burden the same way they did. So my simple statement here is while carrying the burden to Jesus' feet, expect hindrance. It's, it's normal in this whole grand journey of Christianity to run into obs- op- opposition and obstacles and hindrance. So don't consider it strange when you face trials of many kinds, my dear brothers and sisters. It comes with the package. So here's just a review, Mark 2. And they came unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. And when they could not come near unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was, and when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. So I'm likening that to an operation of prayer, which is a very interesting application of it, but it is an amazing picture of how prayer works. So hitting the sweet spot in prayer, when we are praying, one of our desires is to be praying in accordance and in agreement with what is on God's heart. That's a desire we have. Now, in Romans 8, it says we don't know what to pray. And when we don't know what to pray, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. He takes our groanings, our imperfect prayers, and he converts them and causes them to work. It's a very simple way of understanding that Romans 8 passage. And one of the ideas in it, which we will unpack later in the, this five-week semester, is we're going to talk about the idea of what that word intercession actually means. It's different than the typical word for intercession in the New Testament. In other words, the fact that Jesus makes intercession for us. This is a different word. It's a more expansive word, and it's hupraintuchano. It's a huge Greek word. And it actually means, in a very simple sense, imagine that my kids are putt-putting, and they're like three or four. I went through this quite a few times. And they're not very good. And so they're hitting the balls sideways and every which way. There's a bush over here, and they hit it right into the bush. And so they want to get a hole-in-one and because they want to win, right? And so they ask Daddy for help. They don't know how to play putt-putt. And so with their groanings, uh, they submit to Daddy, overshadowing them and putting his hands over their hands and fixing their hands on the putter and then saying, you ready? And then we swing together. Who gets it on their scorecard? They do. But who actually did the putt-putting? Daddy did. In other words, Daddy used his ability to overshadow and enable that hole-in-one. So the same is true in our Christian life. When we don't know what to pray, what we do is we say, God, I need you to help me putt this because I really don't know what I'm supposed to be doing here in this whole prayer thing, but could you help me? Because all I have is a groan. What we're wanting to do is hit the sweet spot, hit the hole-in-one. We're wanting to nail this thing. We don't want to waste our time. If we're going to pray, we want to pray right. And so we need to be submissive in our praying. So I'm going to, also, I'm going to call this the whatsoever territory. And there's a reason for that. Have you ever heard the, the statement, ask whatsoever you will and it will be done? Okay, so well, we need to know what whatsoever is. Uh, okay, because well, that sounds like everything. So if I pray to float right now, is that in the whatsoever category? Uh, if I pray for a Ferrari right now, uh, that it will zoom in through that front door and somehow squeeze through it and make it into this, uh, this chapel, is that in the whatsoever territory? I mean, it's a bold request, right? Is that what God's talking about, that I can ask anything I want? It's a good question because many of us have interpreted it that way, which has led to all sorts of hazards in our Christian life. There's actually a better way to understand this, and it's actually beautiful and profound. 
So Matthew 21, 22, whatsoever things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. So that's a pretty all-encompassing statement. So if you take that without context, if you take that without the rest of the New Testament, without the rest of what Jesus teaches on prayer, you could understand why I would say, well, I could ask whatever I want, and it's going to be done. So if I want to float, if I want to fly like Superman, if I want to, you know, take a bar and bend it in half, you know, some steel bar and show off for my girlfriend, I could do that. Is that what it means? Some of you are like, those are some good ideas, Eric. I never thought of those. <clears throat> so Joshua 1, 2 through 4 is going to give us a pattern. You see, the Old Testament is fulfilled in Jesus. The, reason, the way that we understand, the way that the Bereans tested Paul's doctrine is they searched the Scriptures. Well, what do you think the Scriptures were? They were the Old Testament. And so the Old Testament is a pattern that is a basis for the New Testament. The New Testament is not an eradication of the Old Testament. It builds on top. So as a result, it completes. It fulfills. So as a result, the way that we understand the New Testament is actually not by discarding the Old Testament, but by recognizing it's being used, it's being converted into our understanding. So everything that we could teach in the New Testament has its foreshadow, starting with Jesus Christ and him crucified. Start studying the Old Testament, you're going to realize the whole thing points to the cross. The whole thing points to one man, and his name is Jesus. It's, it's amazing. So in Joshua 1, Moses, my servant, is dead. Wow, that's quite the start to the scripture. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. So we have the second man, Joshua. Moses, a first, Joshua, a second. Who's going to lead them into the land of promise? Not a first. It's the second. And so it's Joshua, the same name as Jesus, by the way. Did you know that? Jesus' name is actually Joshua. It's Yeshua in the Hebrew. Now, we don't translate it. In the, in the Greek, the way the Holy Spirit carried along the writers, he said Isus, which is actually Joshua. It's Yeshua. And then we, uh, in the English language, when we transliterate it, we add a just sound because the Greek doesn't have a just sound. So instead of Isus, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. That's where we get the name. So this is Jesus in the Old Testament. It's actually a picture, an incredible picture of Jesus, right? It's not Jesus. It's a guy named Joshua, okay? He's a real character that lived. However, he's a picture in an amazing way. The law and then the second. It's the second one. It's grace that can take you into the land of promise. The law can't do it. So Moses is restrained because he symbolizes something too. He symbolizes a first. And the first can't take them in. And so we have uh, this statement that is going to be given from God to Joshua. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you. Whatsoever or wheresoever your foot shall tread, it's yours. Okay, that's a big statement. But then he's going to define the whatsoever territory, the wheresoever territory. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites into the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. So technically, God is saying, wheresoever your foot will tread, it's yours. But then that is a territory. It's not just go to Japan and set your foot there and it's yours. It's actually a defined territory that God is giving you. What's this territory called? It's called the land of promise. You see, the land of promise for us is the territory. So when God is saying what he's saying, when Jesus is saying that in the New Testament, he's giving, he's hearkening back to this exact picture. 
You see, Joshua is going to take you into a land, a land flown with milk and honey. Go take that land. Ask for that land. Sit the, the, set the sole of your foot upon that land and take it. Right? But that land is defined, and it's the territory of promise. Jesus Christ has given us exceeding great and precious promises. Go after those. That's what we're asking for, believing, and we will receive. It's not just anything we ask for. It's the territory of promise that we've been given. So the whatsoever territory is defined. It is referred to as the land of promise. So in Scripture, where we have the ask whatever you want concept, which is true, Scripture says that. It also gives a counterbalance to this to help us understand some of us have prayed boldly and have not received what we asked for. And that can lead to disillusionment. I, I can understand that. And so we have this, uh, this pile of baggage behind us known as experience that hinders us in boldly moving forward in our prayer life. Because it's like, wow, I don't want to have confidence in God again because he seemed to sort of fail me in the past. God actually doesn't fail any of us in prayer. What there needs to be is a refinement of how we understand prayer to work. Because God, he abides by his word. He works in accordance with his nature. He doesn't violate himself. We oftentimes are just a little discombobulated in how it all works. And part of that is the way we're taught and what, and what we were taught to expect. Some of it is just our misinterpretation of scripture. It happens. But when God and the Holy Spirit begins to refine this, it all begins to come into order. It's like, that, that actually makes sense. So there are actually things in the Bible that say, if you do this, your prayers will be hindered. You see, there are things that we can do that will actually cause our prayers to not work. And so it's very important not to just be bold in prayer, but to also recognize that there's things that we could do that put a kink in the hose and that hinder the flow of water through that hose. So let's go through those six things. The first one, if it's born of the flesh. Now remember, I've, I've described to you multiple times over that there's a first and there's a second. The first is the flesh, the second is the spirit. And if you are praying in Adam, if you are praying in Adam instead of praying in the name of Jesus, if you are praying in accordance with the nature of Adam, in accordance to the will of Adam, what Adam would want, as opposed to what the spirit of God would want, do you understand why that would make sense? That would actually hinder your praying because God is going to answer the spirit prayer. He's going to answer, this is what he's doing in the world. He's not doing this. He's not going to prosper darkness. So if you ask him to prosper darkness, what do you think his answer is going to be? It's the same as your parents' answer would be if you were you know, saying, hey, could I just eat McDonald's every day? They're like, no. They're like, I thought you were a good parent like God. And God would say yes to everything. See, he doesn't say yes to everything. He says yes to the spirit. He says yes to his promises. There are certain things that are yes, 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 yes. But if we go off reservation and start asking for the powers of darkness to increase in this world, guess what? God's not in agreement with that. And he's not going to change his nature to agree with that. So, James 4, 3. You ask and receive not. Well, why not? Because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lusts. I don't blame God for saying no. Why would, why would we not receive in that situation? Because it's actually harmful for us, and he loves us. Number two, errant, or meaning not in alignment with God's nature, will, and purpose on earth. 
And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Our confidence is when we are in alignment, he hears us. When we are out of alignment, we don't have the same concept and the same confidence. Number three, if we're wavering and unsure, but let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavers is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think he shall receive anything of the Lord. So wavering, do you remember this, this idea that I, uh, I said in class? Those of you that are getting this on podcast, you're missing a little key piece here. But I was talking about uh, the word of God being in front of us and we believe it. And we actually doubt that other voice that is trying to bait us away from the word of God. It's like attorney is what I call them. And so the word for doubt is diacrino. It's like the concept of being a wave of the sea tossed to and fro, turning from one to the other and saying, okay, God, I'm with you. Well, wait a minute. The devil has a good argument on this one. But actually standing firmly and not being tossed to and fro and being resolute that I'm with the scriptures. What God says, I believe. And I don't care what the devil is saying. I don't care what my natural circumstances are. We need to be unwavering. Number four, living in disobedience and impurity. When you live in disobedience and impurity, it actually clogs up the pipeline. It's a kink in the hose. And so you could be connected to the spigot, but that water isn't getting through that hose. And so as a result, there is a need to unkink. There is a need for purity to be found in your life. Otherwise, it actually hinders your praying. So it says, when you spread forth your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Yes, when you make many prayers, I will not hear. Why? Your hands are full of blood. In other words, you're living in agreement with darkness. You're actually bringing harm to people instead of what I desire to bring, which is love. So as a result, it is hindering the flow of prayer and the answer of prayer. Number five, this is an interesting one. In 1 Peter 3, 7, it is God speaking, uh, well, through Peter, to husbands and wives, and well, specifically in this one, husbands, about how they should treat their wives. And it's fascinating because most of us never, never associate this with prayer. Likewise, you husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life. Why? That your prayers be not hindered. In other words, your prayers could be hindered when you do not live in an understanding way with your wife. Isn't that a fascinating statement? Which is why I call it heavenly honor. That when we agree with God's pattern and we show honor and respect to those around us, it actually creates an open channel in our relationship with God. But when we don't, and we show dishonor in those relationships, disrespect, disregard, it actually hinders and clogs the pipeline. And finally, <clears throat> lack of abiding. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. So there's a need, just like a branch is going to immediately cease in producing fruit the moment it detaches from the vine. Same with us. It's sort of hard to produce fruit when we're detached from the living center, the sap. And so as we abide, we will produce fruit. As we abide, this free flow of grace works in our life. Our desire as Christians is to hit that sweet spot, is to walk in agreement with the living God. And so if we are outside of that, let's not try and justify and say God's wrong. Let's come into agreement with God and say, God, I desire my prayer life to work. I desire to hit a hole in one, 
And since I don't seem very good at this, I mean, most people, if not every single one of us, because I've only lived in one body and I've, you know, I've studied a lot of history on prayer, and here's one thing I've noticed. We all just sort of feel like we don't know what we're doing. It's like, God, how does this work? And the more you learn about prayer, the more you realize, wow, I don't really know much about prayer. Isn't that fascinating? It's like I've spent a lot of my life studying prayer, and I feel like I'm at a beginner level. That's a really odd thing. So I actually really resonate with Romans 8 when it says, you know, when I don't know what to pray, uh, I need the Holy Spirit to take my groans. I groan a lot in prayer. God, here's my wheeze. It's a wheeze of faith, but it's a wheeze. I don't know what to ask for right now. I don't know actually what I'm supposed to go after, but here, I trust you. I trust you, and I am going to pray. I'm going to pull on that rope, but I'm not exactly sure what I'm trying to pull down right now. He does. And it's amazing how he converts that wheeze, that groan, that inarticulate sound into a very strong pull of faith. And so for us, our desire is to be in alignment with the Spirit. To do that, you have to forsake the flesh. Critical dimension. You have to pick up your cross, deny yourself, so that you can be effective in this Christian life. And when you do that, and when you allow the Holy Spirit to be at the helm and at the lead position of your prayer life, watch out, world. This is truly how the world is altered. Father, I ask that you would train us. Train us as spiritual athletes in prayer that we would know how to do it, that we would know how to exercise our faith in this way, that we would know how to reach up into the heavenlies and grab a hold of your promises, that we would learn to let go of the things that are born of us, and that we would hold strongly to the things that are born of you. Lord, teach us to pray. We love you and trust you, Lord. Amen. Daily Thunder is a production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training and the Bravehearted Media Group. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and see it once again gain the stride of the Spirit emboldened and brave. The Daily Thunder video stream can be watched live daily at 8.15 a.m. Mountain Time, Monday through Saturday, and 7.15 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Join us at live.ellerslie.com. Please consider booking a stopover at the lovely Ellerslie campus at the foot of the majestic Rocky Mountains for one day, one week, one semester, or for an entire season. We hope to see you someday soon live and in person. Thanks for listening.